At Granger, we're for the ones who specialize in saving the day and for the ones who've mastered the art of keeping business moving. We offer industrial-grade supplies for every industry with same-day pickup and next-day delivery on most orders, all backed by real people ready to help. So you can get the right answers and products right when you need them. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Blog Talk Radio. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Red Leg Nation Radio. I'm Chad Dotson from RedLegNation.com. And joining me, as he often does, and we're always uh, happy to have uh, our good friend, Doug Gray from RedsMinorLeagues.com. It's the Prospect Show on Red Leg Nation Radio. How you doing today, Doug? I'm pretty good, Chad. How you doing? Oh, I'm doing pretty good. You're, wait a minute. Just pretty good? Or aren't we still buzzing over the uh, Brian Price news? Or, or maybe you're not buzzing at all. We've actually not talked about it. What do you, what do you think about Brian Price, our new manager? I mean, there are obviously things that we're not going to know about him until he actually gets out there and shows what he can or can't do um, with certain things. But from everything that I've read from the players, the things they've said about him, the things that he said, um, I'm a fan. Um, you know, like I said, you're not entirely sure if his words are going to match up with his decisions because we've seen in the past, um, not just with the Reds, but with you know, different coaches and managers in other sports, the things they say, you know, they don't always match up with what they do. But until we have evidence that says he's going to do things differently than what he says, um, he's saying all the right things uh, from what I like to hear a manager say. So I- I'm a big fan of the hire. Um, hopefully uh, he can stick with what he says because, yeah, it-, it sounds pretty good and it, it seems like a uh, – a drastic difference than the uh, last manager that we had. Well, you know, he's going to do lots of things that are going to infuriate us. Every single manager uh, does those things. But it's just nice to have a little bit of optimism, a little hope that maybe some of the simple things that have been frustrating us uh, for so long are going to be corrected. Who knows? And and maybe he'll surprise us all by, uh, you know, being even more open-minded than we expect from any manager not named Joe Madden. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm excited about it. But we're not here to talk about Brian Price, uh, you know, we are here to talk about your your baby, your uh, uh, expertise here, and that is the Reds minor league system, specifically the top 25 prospects. Every year you put out your top 25 list, and we're going to run through, uh, try to get through as much of that list as we can today. Um, let me ask you a question, though, before we get started with that, uh, about the list and about the Reds uh, minor league system in general. This weekend, I actually uh, had a uh, an article published over at ESPN about the off-season outlook for each of the teams in the National League Central, uh, sort of the winter forecast, I think was what they called it. And I got to looking at uh, the organizations within the National League Central in a little bit more depth than maybe I ordinarily would. And as I looked at the, what the Cardinals have, and then the Cubs even have some uh, coming up uh, down the road, and we see what has transpired with the Pirates here lately. Am I right or wrong? And I know you always do your state-of-the-farm uh, system uh, address, and I'm not going to step on your uh, your lines from that, but I, I want to know what your thoughts are. Am, am I wrong to be a little bit concerned that the Reds' cupboard is a little more bare than it has been uh, for the last uh, five, seven years or so? Well, 
yes and no. Um, like you said, I think that the cupboard is a little bit bare, but there is talent there. Um, you know, I, I think one through six uh, is, is pretty strong. It, it's been stronger, I mean, especially, you know, when we had Joey Votto and Jay Bruce, Homer Bailey and Johnny Cueto all at the same time uh, in the upper minor leagues. You know, you're hardly ever going to see something like that where somebody's so stacked at the top. Uh, but one through six, I think the Reds are, you, know, you can line them up with most teams. Um, where I, I think the Reds have a bit of a weakness is kind of in that middle section, um, you know, from, you know, prospects seven through 15. I think they're a little bit weak there. And where that really gets exposed is those guys are usually from, you know, the high A, double A level, you know, not so much the star type of guys, but, you know, the, the roster fielder, the uh, fourth, fifth outfielders, the backup infielders, you know, maybe number five starters, uh, you know, sixth, seventh inning bullpen guys. It seems that that's the area where the Reds are lacking right now uh, when it comes to depth. It, you know, it, when the, you know, larger publications come out with their prospect rankings for the, the entire farm system, that's probably what's going to hold the Reds back, you know, into that 15 to 25 range, depending on, you know, who's doing it and how much they want to weigh you know, upside versus depth. I think that that's kind of the area it's going to hurt the Reds uh, when those kind of rankings come out. Well, but what, what I'm hearing, if, if I'm maybe not uh, so subtly reading between the lines, is that you, you think at least the uh, the upper echelon of the, the Reds' farm system, the, the top of the, the cream of the crop, I guess, the best of the best prospects, match up pretty well with uh, a lot of other teams, I guess, with, with most other teams even. Yeah, I think so. Um I mean, especially at the top, they've got two top 50 prospects in all of baseball with Robert Stevenson and Billy Hamilton. I think that universally they're going to be in the top 50 um, on all prospect lists. And, you know, anytime you have that at the top of, this, top of your system, you can't be hurting too bad because, you know, a lot of teams wish they could have something like that. Um, and both of them are relatively close to the major leagues now. Obviously they both have a little things to do here and there to improve their game to be fully ready to contribute at the major league level. But they're both pretty close, and they're you know big upside prospects. Well, since you've already mentioned uh, mentioned it there, let's go ahead and dig right into your your top twenty five prospects list. Uh, if you've not been following this, uh, his reveal, uh, Doug's reveal of the top twenty five over at RedsMinorLeagues dot com, you really should have been go over there right now, uh, pull it up, and, and take a look at what he has to say about all of them. As always, I'm uh, amazed and impressed at the uh, uh, level of expertise that uh, Doug uh, shows us. Regarding all these prospects, I, I, I like the prospect watch, but uh, man, I feel so inadequate when I talk to Doug about it. But let's start at number one on the list. It might surprise some people; it doesn't surprise me uh, because not only the buzz about this player, but also I've heard Doug talk about this guy. Doug, you got Robert Stevenson, uh, the big right-handed pitcher, who I think finished the year in Double uh, A this year, um, first-round draft pick in 2011, best prospect in the Red System. What can you tell us about him? Well, you know, a couple of years ago, Homer Bailey was the number one pitching prospect in all of baseball. Um, and, you know, I feel Robert Stevenson's better than that. Um, wow. I don't, think, I, don't think I don't think he's the number one prospect in baseball right now just because there are better players right now than there were back then. But I really do feel that, you know, at this stage in his career, he's a better prospect than Homer Bailey was when he was the best pitching prospect in baseball. You know, he's got a better fastball than Homer Bailey did. You know, he throws 96 to 99. Um, you know, on his off days, he's throwing 94 to 97. So, you know, and a low walk rate ball. too, right? He doesn't walk very many, does he? No, I mean he struggled a little bit in Pensacola, um, and it was 16 innings. Um, 
and it was towards the end of the year. But when I saw him pitch in both Dayton and Bakersfield, I mean, he didn't just have control of his fastball. He had command of his fastball. Um, so I think that maybe he was just getting a little bit tired towards the end of the season there, and that's why his walk rate uh, ballooned up. But, yeah, I, I think that, you know, the walk rate isn't going to be an issue for a guy like him. You know, he's got a hammer-breaking ball. Um, his changeup's probably an average pitch, but, you know, playing off of a fastball that's, you know, 95 to 99 miles an hour, you know, it, it's, it's going to get plenty of swings and misses itself. Well, you know, we've heard the buzz about Stevenson since the day that he was uh, drafted, and he's not disappointed, uh, evidently. Is he going to begin this year? You presume he's going to begin this year Double A Pensacola. Do you see him uh, getting to Louisville by the end of the year? Absolutely. I think that it would ju- it would take something, you know, unforeseeable, perhaps like an injury or something that would keep him from, you know, at least spending time half a season in Louisville. Uh, the Reds sent him through three levels this past season, um, and I honestly believe that there were times this season where he could have had success in the major leagues with the exact same games that he threw. I, I, I believe he's really close. Um, you know, he's not on the 40-man roster. He doesn't need to be put on the 40-man roster. So we may not see him even in 2014 um, unless you know the situations warrant it. But I believe that he could be ready to pitch in the major leagues by June or July. Of next year, and then definitely you would think in the conversation for the rotation come uh, opening day 2015. Um, Let me ask you, because you mentioned Stevenson being pushed up uh, very aggressively through uh, three levels last year. The Reds traditionally had been really slow to push people through. Are you seeing any, and there may not be any type of uh, an organization-wide change in that philosophy, but are they they being a little more aggressive with pushing – players through uh, levels, or is this just a Stevenson-specific issue? He's so good that they had to push him. I, I think that it's a – the organization kind of has been a little slow to push guys, but if you remember as far back as Jay Bruce, it seemed that these super high upside guys, when something clicks with them, when they show that they're ready, the Reds will push them. And I think that that's what we saw with Stevenson and a guy we're going to talk about later down the list. I feel like they did that with him, too. Um, it just when something clicked with him, you know, they didn't wait long and they pushed him up to the next level. And I, I feel that that's the kind of thing that they do with, I guess, the guys that they view as the premier athlete, uh, premier pitching type of guys versus, you know, the guys they're going to take it slower with who are just, you know, good type of prospects. Well, uh, listeners, you heard it here first. Our buddy Doug just told you, Robert Stevenson, better than Homer Bailey. We're going to hold you to that, Doug. Okay, well, if we're going to hold you that, at least give me a few years, you know, before you start calling me out on it. But yes, yeah, I really do think that he he has that kind of upside. Well, that's uh, that's impressive, certainly. Um, now, number two on your list is a guy that, well, everyone's going to be wanting to talk about next spring. They talked about him all September, and that's a uh, Billy Hamilton. And th- this brings up a point that I, I thought about a moment ago when we were talking about uh, the number of prospects in the Reds organization. What happens when you got a lot of great prospects like the Reds have had over the last few years, like Votto and Bruce and, and, and Bailey and these guys that have come up, is that when you lose them to the major leagues, it makes your minor league system look a lot worse. But the minor league system has done what it's supposed to do. It's produced uh, uh, quality major leaguers. I, I presume that Billy Hamilton is the, uh, as things stand now, and, and things could change quite a bit between now and next April, He's a Cincinnati Red, but as of now, you've got number two on your list. What can you tell us about Billy Hamilton? Well, you know, he really struggled in the first half of the season. Um, you know, just watching him 
day in and day out. He was not hitting the ball hard at all like he had done the year before. Um, something was off. His balance wasn't there. Um, but, you know, like Billy Hamilton has always done in the past, he made the adjustments. And, you know, he hit 280 um, once July rolled around through the end of the year, including his time with Cincinnati. So he figured it out. Um, you know, I still think that he probably needs a couple of months in AAA. Um, but, you know, like you said, I, until unless something happens, I can't imagine the way he's not starting the center field on opening day um, if they don't go out and acquire someone else. Uh, but, you know, he's going to be a guy where, you know, he's not going to have to hit much because we've all seen what he can do on the base pads with his speed. Uh, he didn't get to show it off too much in the outfield uh, because of his limited playing time. He didn't get many starts. You know, he had a lot of pinch running opportunities. But, you know, he's a difference maker in the outfield. Uh, last year was the first year that he really played outfield. And, you know, the transition went much quicker than I think anybody expected. After April, I really didn't see any mistakes that you would think a guy would make who's making the transition to a new position. Uh, you know, he shows outstanding range. You know, he runs good routes. You know, his arm. In the past, people talk about his arm issues. I've never really seen it. He just didn't use it properly when he was on the infield technique throwing from the outfield. His arm's plenty strong enough to play in center field. Uh, the real difference is going to be whether his bat. You know. I guess he gets the most from it. Um, if he doesn't hit too much, you know, he's an average everyday guy. But if Billy Hamilton actually hits the ball well, you know, he's going to be an all-star for years and years. Um, you know, he might even contend for MVP sometimes. You know, if he can hit 280, 290, you know, he's going to steal 100-plus bases and play gold glove defense at one of the most important positions on the field. Uh, there's a lot of upside there, but, you know, it, it's all going to be about how his bat continues to develop over the next few years. Well, and that's what's going to be interesting to watch with him. Uh, place me firmly in the camp that says he needs to start in uh, Louisville. I, I, you know, I know he did hit better in the second half, and of course we all saw he did in Cincinnati. But you look up at the end of this, his first uh, full season in Louisville, and his on base percentage three oh eight. Not really going to going to cut it, especially. Well, I guess we were presuming that Dusty would have hit him uh, leadoff, and we don't know that Brian Price would do that. But what I hear you telling me is that on day one this year, if he is in Cincinnati, he's at least an upgrade defensively over Shin Su Chu with uh, the possibility of, uh, you know, uh, uh, at least a, if not a, an extremely high ceiling offensively, uh, there is a ceiling up there that could uh, turn him into a very productive player. But defensively, even just being his first season and next year being his second season in center field, already an upgrade over uh, over Chu. Is that, is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I think that he, if he's not the best center fielder in the organization, he's really close to it. Uh, you know, I, I just – the quickness that he was able to figure things out in center field was just, it was so impressive. The guy put in a lot of work to get where he is. And, I mean, I, I don't know. I, there were other guys this season that trans, transitioned from the infield to center field this year, and, you know, they're still working out the kinks. It, by the, like I said, by the end of April, I didn't see any mistakes at all with the kind of defense he was playing. He was making good reads, running good routes. It, it, very impressive. You know, and what what I'm hearing here, and what I've really sort of noticed about Hamilton, and this is complete speculation. I, I don't know Billy Hamilton. Uh, I've heard all the stories, and, and you're telling them here as well about how hard he's worked to get better. But you see a guy who uh, gets better throughout the season, uh, who improved offensively and defensively the second half of the season. Who you know, uh, the longer he's in a at a level, he shows definite improvement. Seems like a fairly, and, and I watched him running the bases. Seems like a fairly high IQ, uh, high baseball IQ 
type guy, and a guy that uh, might be fun to root for, I guess. Uh, that's all sort of, uh, I don't know, wishy-washy, uh, gooey uh, analysis there, but uh, I don't know. You're, you you may be a little more optimistic about Hamilton than I was previously, I guess. Yeah, I mean, ever since he was in Dayton, uh, you know, I've heard stories about how hard of a worker he is and the time that he puts in to improve himself, you know, on the field. And, uh, you know, it's something that's, that's carried all the way up, and I don't think I've ever heard anybody say anything uh, – to the contrary to that. So I think that Reds fans are going to like that about him, you know, given their propensity to root for players who show that they're, you know, I guess trying and giving their all on the baseball field. Yeah, well, I don't know what's going to happen with Hamilton. You, uh, it looks like he's probably at least uh, the odds-on favorite to be in Cincinnati on opening day. Uh, whatever happens, he's going to be fun to watch. Let's move on to number three on your list, which is an interesting name to me. This is the uh, Reds' first-round draft pick. From last year's draft, the 2013 uh, first-year player draft, Philip Irvin. Irvin, uh, this guy, 20 years old, hit the hit the uh, hit professional baseball, and wow! I mean, uh, you couldn't have asked for any more out of a uh, you know a 200 plate appearances in his first uh, season in the minors. Am I right? Yeah, I mean the guy went out and hit 331 and slugged 564 uh, between Billings and Dayton. Uh, there's there's not much more you can ask for a guy to do. You know, he went out, he he played good defense and center. Now, I guess the one thing that you're not going to be able to see in the box scores, uh, you kind of had to watch or listen to the games to pick up on this, but he actually split time between right field and center field. He never played right field before. Um, you know, he, he had some struggles out there. Um, it was a transition for him. Uh, he didn't quite get the same kind of reads that he was getting in center field. You know, the the ball comes off the bat a little bit differently. It tails in different directions depending on what kind of hitters up there, and you're not gonna you're not gonna see that too often in center field. And he, he did have some struggles with that this year, but isn't the thought that he's going to end up maybe a, a corner outfielder probably eventually? Is, is that, isn't that the the thought here? Well, maybe I, I think that you know he's got the speed to play center field. But I think the Reds are also looking at it. You know, they've got several center fielders ahead of him on the depth chart because he was just drafted this year. Uh, you know, even if he's fast-tracked, he's still probably two years away at best. Uh, so, you know, they, they may have just planned ahead that, you know, maybe that position's not going to be available for him, even though he can play it. Like, we you know, like we just covered, Billy Hamilton does play center field. Uh, there's a few other guys behind him who are much closer to the majors that also play a good center field. Um, so it's going to be something that, you know, I think we're going to see as he moves up, he's going to continue splitting his time between center field and right field, and they're just going to kind of have to play it by ear and see what positions are available when he is ready to be at the major league level. Well, if he keeps hitting, uh, they'll find a place for him, no doubt. Uh, what I like to see with a young guy like this, and you don't always see, uh, as we'll talk about here in, just, in a couple spots uh, lower on the list when we talk about one of your uh, your favorite guys, but for a young guy like this, yeah, he hit three thirty one in 172 at-bats uh, this year over uh, two levels. But, you know, he took, uh, what he took, 25 walks, 425 on base percentage. So pretty good command of the strike zone for a young guy. And and that I think that seems to me that bodes well for his development, does it not? Yeah, whenever a guy understands the strike zone, you have to feel a little bit better about their chances as they move up and face more advanced pitching. Uh, you know, so that's one of those things. It, it doesn't always transfer, uh, you know, if a guy has a good batting average in the lower levels, but, you know, he has problems with, his walk-to-strikeout ratio. Uh, with Urban, I don't think that's really an issue. You know, there's. I think that he enjoys chasing the high fastball a little too much. 
but really that was – you really have to nitpick something like that, and it was really the only thing that I saw while watching him throughout the year that I thought, you know, he could use improvements on within, you know, the pitches that he did choose to swing at. We talked about the Reds being aggressive with some of their elite prospects. Uh, do we see Irvin starting the year in high A maybe, or uh, or you think he'll be back at Dayton at least to start the year? I think he'll be back in Dayton to start the year. You know, he had a injury to his wrist uh, with about three weeks left in the season. They didn't return. Uh, you know, Dayton is one of the, uh, the the staples of the Reds' farm system. They've been around uh, for, I think, ten years now. And it seems that the Reds really go out of their way to put their top prospects there. And I, I think that, you know, with the limited amount of time that he had and along with the depth that the Reds do have in the outfield in the system, that he is going to spend probably two or three months in Dayton again next year before they move him back up. Another guy, another outfielder with some uh, real plate discipline, uh, reasons to uh, be excited about plate discipline, is your number four guy on the list, Jesse Winker, who spent a full season with Dayton, uh, 281 average, 379 on base percentage, 16 homers, 76 RBIs, uh, 63 walks. Uh, good season for Winker. Yeah, he is probably the most impressive hitter that I saw this season for the Reds. Um, you know, I love his plate approach. We just talked about it with Urban. You know, Winker's the same way. He understands the strike zone so well. He's not scared to hit. Uh, you know, in you know two strike counts, he'll work the count and wait for his pitch to you know to drive a pitch. He's not going to just swing at any strike that someone throws. If it's a pitcher's pitch early in the count, he's not going to swing at it and make weak contact. He's going to wait for his pitch until, you know, he's got two strikes on him, in which case then he'll expand the zone a little bit. But, you know, he's got power to all fields. He understands the strike zone. You know, he can use the entire field, which isn't something you usually see with, you know, 19-year-old kids. So, from the plate, I believe that he's probably the best hitting prospect that the Reds have. Um, but he's also limited to left field defensively, which is why he ranks fourth instead of further up the list. That's what I was going to ask. Is that the reason why he uh, ranks behind Urban, just defensively? Because they both look like they're pretty solid hitters. Yeah, I mean, you know, to left field, it, it's kind of the position that's furthest down on the depth chart for, uh, I guess, value defensively. And while he can play a solid left field, you know, you, you do lose your value when you can't play the more premium position. So he'll be uh, 20 years old, old next year. Uh, turned 21, I think, in August, uh, later in the year. But he'll it'd be his age 20 season, uh, probably starting out in high A with, uh, who knows, Pensacola in his future. Yeah, I think that he'll be in uh, Bakersfield for the first half of the season. Right. But, you know, I, I would expect to see him in Pensacola in the second half. You know, he's an advanced bat. You know, you throw in the California League where Bakersfield plays. Uh, the ball flies out there. I, I think that he's going to put up good numbers and get pushed up to the to the double-A level by midseason. Heard a lot of buzz about Winker. I'm looking forward to seeing what happens with him, especially his age. Uh, well, he and Irvin both, you know. Uh, this coming year is going to be a really interesting one for the development of both those guys. Uh, look forward to seeing where they are this time next year on your list. All right, number five, top five on your list, the guy that just snuck in under the uh, under the wire here is your guy, Jorman Rodriguez. Now, it seems like, Doug, we've been talking about Jorman Rodriguez for, what, uh, 13, 14 years now? Because um, I think he he first joined the Reds when he was seven. Is that right? I, I think it was eight, but no. no. The Reds <laughs> signed him when he was 16 out of Venezuela, and you know that was back in 2008. So he has been around what seems like forever, even though he just turned 21 a few months ago. Um, but. He made big strides this year, um, especially in his plate discipline. 
you know, he struck out 153 times this year in, six, in uh, 567 plate appearances, which that, that is a high number. Um, but he also had the highest walk rate of his career, and he looked better at the plate. He wasn't expanding the strike zone as nearly as much as he used to. It used to be you could throw him any kind of breaking ball within a foot of the zone, and he'd be swinging at it. He was a very aggressive hitter. Um, you know, this year, he was a very patient hitter, and he wouldn't expand the strike zone. There still are things to work with, uh, you know, on the pitches that he does swing at within the strike zone. You know, he's got some mechanical things that you would like to see improved, uh, which you can see he's got 153 strikeouts. That's, that's nothing to see that. That's a lot of strikeouts. It may be an issue moving forward. Um, but, you know, he's truly a five-tool player. He might have the best set of tools out of everybody in the system, uh, this side of Robert Stevenson. Um, you know, huge upside for this kid. And, you know, he was one of the two youngest players, or two youngest everyday players in A this year. So I, I think that that needs to be taken into context when talking about the things that he's done. You know, he is incredibly young for his level. And, you know, he finally started showing off those tools more often this year. And the biggest thing that's been on a board on his resume has been the play discipline. And while the numbers aren't exactly showing it because he did strike out so often, if you watched him in the past and watched him this year, it really is like watching two different players. No, listen, you've been high on Rodriguez for a while, and, and I've followed him uh, from afar just uh, mostly for that reason. Uh, he's been around. The Reds signed him in 2008. Um, and the reason why I have had uh, been skeptical, I guess we'll say, on Rodriguez uh, for the last uh, few years is that plate discipline issue. But then you look up this year, and you can tell just in his numbers. Now the strikeouts don't look good, but – uh, drawn a few more walks, and uh, you, don't, you don't often see uh, young players able to uh, learn the strike zone uh, very well. But I guess he was so young, um, and, and the fact that he 20 years old uh, in Double A, you absolutely take that into account. Good um, and, and to be 20 years old in Double A and hold his own in Double A. Very impressive to me. Uh, Rodriguez is a guy that. Uh, I've been skeptical on. I haven't seen what you've been seeing, but I'm maybe starting to come around on him. That's an impressive season for him. Yeah, I mean, just to put into perspective how young he is, he's younger than Philip Urban is. And he was just drafted this past season out of college as a junior. Like, that that's really how young he is. Um, just kind of put that out there to kind of give everyone an idea of the age relative to the level he's playing at. What about his power? Um, I had uh, expected maybe a little bit more power, but it was down a little bit this year. Or, or am I just uh, am I am I wrong to have expected a whole lot of power from him at this point? I want to say both because his power actually was up this year. It was the best power output year he's had in his career. Uh, but he does have more power in the tank that he hasn't learned to use yet. Uh, one of the issues with Rodriguez at this point in his career is he really likes to go to the opposite field. Um, does it more often than he pulls the ball. And, you know, while he has good power to the opposite field, you know, unless you're Joey Votto or Miguel Cabrera, you don't generally hit for a lot of home runs the other way. And one of the things is, is while he was in Pensacola, you know, he would go the other way a lot. Well, Pensacola's right field absolutely crushed home runs this year. There were nine home runs hit in 70 games to right field in Pensacola this year. So I, I think that that really hurt his home run numbers, uh, especially with Pensacola this year. I guess I've been hearing for years about his uh, power potential, and I'm uh, waiting to see some uh, 
some big numbers from him. But uh, you, you've uh, it's another guy you've sort of convinced me on. Looking forward to watching what he does next year. Now he'll be in Pensacola to start the start the year, I presume. Um, could he really be in AAA by the end of next season at age twenty one? I think so. One of the problems with his whole situation is I think that you know maybe you would want to take it a little bit slower with him, um, you know, given that he will be so young next year. But he was on the forty man roster this year, so he's already used up one option which means he's only got two years left in the minor league. So I think that the Reds are going to want to push him a little bit quicker than maybe they would like to, um, assuming he doesn't take another big step forward next year, uh, because they kind of have to get a feeler for what they've got. You know, Maybe you want to get him ready for a September call-up next year just to give him a taste and see what he can do against major league pitching, because the 2015 season will be the last year he can stay in the minor leagues. All right, so there's your top five. Let's move on to the second five uh, in your top ten. Number six, another big right-handed pitcher was with Dayton this year, Nick Travieso. Um, he was a, the first rounder from 2012, and now he had a, a very slow start to the season. I guess injury, and then uh, and then struggled a little bit. So his numbers maybe not uh, as good as we'd hoped. Although you know the walk rate's not uh, not bad, the K rate is. Uh, you know he, he looks he looks okay to me. What, what are your thoughts on Travieso? But he actually wasn't injured this year. Uh, I think that the Reds had just planned to pitch him in Billings this year, but Dayton had several injuries in their rotation throughout the early part of the year, uh, so they brought him up roughly at the beginning of June. I think it was a couple of days into June before they brought him up. Uh, I don't think that was their plan. Um, you know, like you said, he did start off slow, and he was he was a lot better down the stretch. Uh, I think that this is one of the more controversial guys that I've encountered with commenters on the website. They feel that I ranked him too high. Um, you know, I can see it at the same time. I can disagree with it. It depends on when you saw him. There were days where I saw him, and he was throwing 93 to 95 all game, and you know, topping out at 97. But there were a couple other games where he was 88 to 91, and he topped out at 92. Uh, I think it just all depends on what day you saw him as to how exactly you feel about him. Uh, one of the things that you know gets me with why I'm more high on him than other people, I guess. He never really started in high school. He started for his senior year in high school. So, generally speaking, he's further behind than everybody else on the field with him as far as experience goes. Um, you know, as a reliever in high school, he may be through 15 innings a year, maybe 20 innings a year, whereas other guys were throwing 70 to 80 a year. So he, he's still catching up with a lot of guys, and he made improvements throughout the season that I saw that I, I really was impressed by. And, you know, at the top end, his stuff does match up with just about anybody else in the system, which, you know, when I put all that together, you know, I've wanted to keep him, you know, higher up. I'm, I'm an upside guy. I won't lie about that because I, I think that, you know, teams need to be able to develop superstars more than they need to be able to develop the average guy because especially teams like the Reds, you can't go out and buy a superstar. You just don't have the money. You have to be able to develop that guy. And I, I think that, Trudius is the kind of guy that's got that upside, even though you know he didn't always show it this year. Well, and he's still young. I'm not not sure why I thought he was uh, injured, but still young. And uh, if you're telling me he's got that upside, that's fantastic. Maybe the benefit of him not having, uh, I guess, catching up a little bit on the experience side of it is he didn't have some dumb high school coach somewhere throwing him 200 pitches in some st- uh, you know regional playoff game or something. So um, maybe that's a good thing. Uh, and he's still young, still got plenty of time to uh, to adjust and to get that experience. Um, where's he going to be to start uh, 
2013. You know, it wouldn't surprise me either way if he wound up back in Dayton or if he did start the year in uh, Bakersfield. Um, you know, I, I think that he could use some more time in Dayton, but at the same time, depending on, you know, I guess how the rest of the rosters go, because there, there is a lot of pitching depth um, that was at the Bakersfield level this year that, you know, he may be a guy that gets pushed up there that, uh, for next year to start off there. Oh, that, that's the reason I ask, you know, um, given the, the relative lack of experience and, and his age, uh, I can't see that it would hurt him to stay at uh, low A for a little while. Now, number seven on your list is a guy that has been so far off my radar that I'm really not even sure I know how to pronounce his name correctly. I'm going to I'm gonna give it a stab. John Moscott. Um, that, that is correct. Tall right-hander, uh, pitched with Bakersfield and Pensacola this year. Um, had a beautiful win-loss record in Bakersfield. I'll let you talk about that. But uh, this guy was a fourth-rounder back in 2012. For those of us who uh, – this guy's been off their radar, what can you tell us? Yeah, the, the Reds were actually really high on him this spring. Uh, you kept hearing his name pop up as a guy that you know they expected to you know go to Bakersfield and Pensacola this year. Uh, which isn't something that you often see from the Reds. You know, they like we mentioned before, they do take it slower with some guys. Uh, you know, his first year of the draft, he spent half of his season, uh, well, a quarter of his season in Double A. Uh, so clearly, the Reds are high on him as well. Uh, you know, he doesn't have a huge upside. I think he's more of a middle of the rotation kind of guy. But you know, he's a guy who can throw four pitches for strikes. He's got a fastball, changeup, uh, curveball, and slider. Um, he's got a he's got a good approach. You know, he can throw strikes with all of his pitches, and uh, he, he's a smart pitcher. He can he can work the count uh, into his favor well. Uh, he can keep guys off balance. Um, he's just a very, a very polished guy for his age. And he'll, uh, you presume, be back because he only got 31 innings at Pensacola. You presume he'll be back there at the uh, to start 2013. Am I presuming correctly? I, I believe you are. I mean, I could be wrong. I don't make those decisions, but. Uh, yeah, I, I think that he'll be back in Pensacola, uh, you know, where, you know, he had as many wins in Pensacola as he did in Bakersfield. Uh, as you noted, he had a terrible record in Bakersfield. He went 2-14, and 14, for those who don't know. Um, but, you know, it wasn't all his fault. You know, the Bakersfield offense was absolutely beyond terrible. They were last in just about every offensive category in the league by far. Um, so, you know, he didn't get much run support. And, for those who don't know, Bakersfield has a 354-foot center field wall, so it's very easy to hit home runs there, which really hurt pitchers' ERAs uh, and home run rates in Bakersfield. But you know, I, I, I'm, I'm pretty high on him. I think that he's a guy who can move quick, and you know, he. I, I think that he could help the Reds. Probably not next year, but in 2015, he could be ready to. You know, I guess come in, fill out the back end of a rotation if they need that. Uh, or, you know, he's got enough stuff that he could pitch out of the bullpen if they wanted to make that move. There's not room in the rotation for him. All right, number eight on the list, Michael Lorenzen. And this is a guy who I was a little bit surprised. Maybe I shouldn't have been. He was taken, I think, 38th overall in the draft last year. And the Reds were very aggressive with Lorenzen. Of course, he started uh, in rookie ball briefly, very briefly. Uh, ended up in Double A uh, for a short stint. Um, what can you tell us about Lorenzen? It's a guy that I've not seen pitch yet, but uh, he comes highly touted. Well, it's really interesting how you mentioned that he wound up in Double A. 
you know, the red skyrocketed him through the system. He spent time in Arizona very briefly. He went to Dayton and Bakersfield and Pensacola. And in Bakersfield and Pensacola, he didn't have much success. He had as many walks as strikeouts at both of those levels. Now, granted, we're talking about 11.2 innings, so it's not much of a sample size to work with. Um, but, you know, they pushed him really quickly up the levels uh, as a reliever, and then he's actually out in the Arizona Fall League right now transitioning to be a starting pitcher, which I find a little confusing. I'm glad that he is transitioning to a starter. I think that it's a good move to try it out and see if he, if a guy with a fresh arm who hasn't started since he was, you know, in middle school, uh, if he can handle that because he's got outstanding stuff. Um, but it was just interesting how they moved him up so quickly only to make that transition uh, during the off season. Uh, but, you know, so far as a starter, he's been throwing 92 to 95 miles an hour out in Arizona, and you've got to imagine that he's probably a little tired given that, you know, he's already a career high in innings this season because he did take on professional baseball after a full college season. Uh, uh, he's got a really good breaking ball. His changeup's still a work in progress. He never really had to use that in college. It's kind of something he's still learning. Um, but, you know, big upside with that guy. Lots of fastball, you know, really good breaking ball. It's just a matter of if he can develop that changeup and the control needed to be a starting pitcher. Uh, otherwise, you know, he'll wind up back in the bullpen where he's got the stuff to close, uh, assuming he can throw enough strikes. Um, the walk rate was a little high between Bakersfield and Nicola, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, but, you know, that could have been a fatigue issue as he was getting more tired. Um, but a lot, lot of fight with that guy. So. Did he relieve in a – he went to college at Cal State Fullerton, I believe. Did he relieve there Was he, or did he start any at all in college? He did not. He did not start at all. He was actually a starting center fielder, um, and he only relieved for the for his sophomore and junior years in college. Um, a lot of teams actually prefer to draft him as an outfielder rather than as a reliever. Uh, the Reds clearly disagreed, but it, it seemed that a lot of people were more high on him as a center fielder, where you know he's got plus speed and good power. Uh, there was questions about whether he'd hit enough, but. Given that he's got all that, he's a very good athlete. So hopefully that will help him, you know, in his transition to being a starting pitcher. Um, you know, he's noted this offseason that, uh, you know, he needs to train his body better uh, for a full-time pitching role, which will be interesting to see how he handles that next year. You know, what he comes into spring training built like. Um, you know, he's kind of more lean right now because he was a center fielder. You know, maybe he needed to retain a little bit of that speed. So you know, his training regimen is going to be a little bit different during the offseason. Uh, you know, build up the leg muscles a little bit more since he's transitioning to starting pitcher, and maybe that'll help him, you know, in the long run. Number nine on your list is a really interesting name to me, another guy that's been in the Reds organization for a while. And we're talking about Carlos Contreras, who had a pretty good year as a starting pitcher this year. That's 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 something new. He's been a reliever, hasn't he? He has been a reliever. Um, he started briefly when he was a teenager, um, and the Reds don't view him as a starting pitcher moving forward. This was just one of those things where he needed to be added to the 40-man roster last year because of how long he has been in the system. And this is just going to give him more experience and more pitches to work on the things that he needs to work on. Um, it, he would actually pitch out of the windup in the first inning, and then no matter what, from the second inning on, he would pitch from the stretch, You know, no matter if anybody was on base or not, just to kind of, keep everything going towards the relief role that the Reds view for him in the future. Um, that's pretty high on your list for a guy that uh, projects to be uh, definitely a reliever, though, isn't it? Do you think, or am I am I wrong? 
Uh, no, you're right. I usually don't favor relievers too much unless they've got the ability to close. Uh, but I think that Contreras actually does have the ability to close. Uh, last year, he pitched out of, well, I guess 2012, he pitched in relief, and, you know, he can throw up to 98 miles an hour. So, you know, he's got the ability of the stuff to close, which is why he's up so high. But at the same time, I also feel in different circumstances, you know, he would have a chance to start. Um, so I, I give him credit for that, and I rank him a little bit higher because of that, even though I don't feel that he will be used in that role with the Reds. Uh, maybe he could be traded to somewhere else, and he would have that ability or that chance to start somewhere. So I don't ding him for how the team wants to use him. I give him credit for how I see that he could be used in the right scenarios. But you know, I think that he does have the stuff to close. You know, Like I said, he can throw up to 98 miles an hour. He's got a really good changeup. His curveball improved this year. I feel that he leans on it a little bit more than he should. I feel that he should work in his changeup a little bit more because it is a better pitch. Uh, but, you know, once you get to the major league level, your catcher is going to know those things, and he's going to give you, you know, he's going to call the game for you a little bit more um, rather than, you know, going up there. You need to work on this, that, and the other. It's all about getting guys out where I think that he will use his his changeup more often, which will give him better results. Um, but, so I, I think that, you know, as a reliever, he could be an eighth-inning guy, maybe a closer if his control gets a little bit better, which is why he's in the top ten. Number ten, since we're talking about the top ten, is Ben Lively. Ben Lively, um, a an interesting name, a name that may not be known by uh, many of our listeners, fourth-rounder from last year, big six-four uh, right-handed pitcher, uh, college guy, went to Central Florida, I believe, he had a pretty good, uh, pretty good debut this year, didn't he? He really did. Um, he actually didn't give up a run until his seventh start of the season. Um, you know, he had an ERA of zero point eight eight in forty one innings. He was yeah, very that'll, limited. That'll do. Yeah, yeah. He was very limited in his pitch count um, and his innings total because he did have a long college season and the Reds wanted to protect his arm. But you know, I want to say it's been a long time since we've seen a debut this good. But then. A few years ago, Tony Singrani had a better debut than this, which is incredible. Yeah, I've heard of him. He, he's a pitcher, yeah, yeah, right? That guy, yeah, yeah that, that guy that uh, came up and made it <laughs> seem like we didn't even need Johnny Cueto. Yeah, that guy. But, no, Ben Lively, you know, he surprised me a little bit. I, you know, scouting reports coming out of college weren't entirely sure if he was going to be a starting pitcher. Um, you know, I saw some video. His mechanics weren't terrible, but they weren't as good as I would like to see. Um, you know, I got to see him pitched twice uh, when he was with Billings and once when he was at Dayton. He cleaned up the mechanics. Um, Stuff-wise, you know, he's got four pitches. I think that, you know, he's got the stuff to start. The numbers were clearly outstanding. Um, you know, he really surprised me, and you know, usually I would lean more towards the draft positions when I would rank guys like this. You know, I wouldn't rank a guy in the fourth round ahead of a guy from the third or second or first round this soon, I feel like. You know, the guys that get paid by the Reds to do this job clearly feel that the other guys are more valuable or they would have taken someone else sooner. Um, but he was just that impressive. Um, you know, and I feel that he was the Reds than he was in college. He showed better stuff. Uh, the mechanics were cleaner. Just just a great debut by this kid. So I, I felt that, you know, he deserved to be in the top ten. Yeah, he'll be fun to watch, probably a date to start the year. Now, uh, we're sort of running out of time here, and so we're not going to make it maybe through the at least as in depth as we've been before. But let's look at eleven through fifteen now quickly on your list because there are three guys there I really want to at least touch on. The first, 
the first though is your number eleven guy, Daniel Corsino. Uh, what happened to him this year? Uh, to be honest, he, he was a mess. His mechanics were all over the place. And to his credit, and to Ted Power's credit, they worked really hard all season trying different things. I believe I saw him try four to five different mechanical changes throughout the season, trying to get things to work right for him. Uh, nothing seemed to stick. Uh, you know, he would be there. You know, one or two innings at a time, things would look great, and then he would just fall apart. He, his release point would be all over the place. He just couldn't find any consistency. Um, the stuff is still there, but he's got to improve the control. Um, you know, like I said, the good thing is he seemed to be working to try and improve it. So hopefully next season he'll come in with a clean slate and he can get back to the guy that he's been in years past. Well, I hope so. He's going to be one of the interesting guys to watch because I expected big things out of him, and, and we didn't get it last year. Now. Uh, this is not one of the guys, your number 12 guy is not one of the guys I necessarily wanted to talk about, but if you could briefly tell me why you've got K.J. Franklin, third baseman, 18-year-old third baseman, uh, who uh, made 20, 20 errors in 37 games. Why is he ranked so highly? Well, he's got big power upside. I'm talking, you know, 30 to 35 home run power upside. Excellent bat speed. He gives good leverage. Um, he's a pretty good athlete for his size. He's six foot one, 220 pounds, but he moves well. Um, you know, the errors are a bit of a question mark, um, but he's got the tools to, you know, improve upon that. You know, sometimes you don't really know how things are at the complex level. Um, the fields aren't always the best. The first basins may not be the best. Uh, they may, you know, they may still be learning their position as well. They may not be able to come off the bag or stretch on the bag correctly, dig balls out of the dirt. So you don't really know about errors at that level. Uh, you kind of look more at tools. But there's a lot of upside with him, um, and I'm a big power guy, and he's got a ton of it, so that's why he's number 12. Uh, your number 13 guy is one of the guys I want to talk about, and it's Tucker Barnhart, a catcher who was in Double A this year. And Tucker has been very uh, kind with Ray Nation joining us on the podcast and always been gracious with his time. And uh, am I wrong to see a little bit of uh, a little bit better Ryan Hannigan with Tucker Barnhart? He gets on base. Uh, great defense, obviously. Is that is that a is that a terrible comparison? It's not. It's one that I've made in the past um, as well. I, I think that you know while their games are built a little bit differently um, because Tucker is a switch hitter at this point in his career. Although to be honest, yeah, I'm not is sure he? It, it, right. Yeah, I, you know, he's a career 172 hitter um, with a 194 on base percentage um, from the right side, which is not his natural side. Um, you know, I'm not sure something they're going to continue to let him do in the future. I could be wrong, but it wouldn't surprise me if they said, you know, well, let's just try things solely from the left side moving forward either. Um, but, no, he's, he's a very solid hitter. You know, doesn't have much power. He's never going to have much power, but he makes a lot of contact. He's going to draw his walks, and defensively he's just outstanding. Great uh, arm, right? Easily the best defensive catcher in the system. He's got, a, he's got a really good arm, very accurate arm, which you know, he doesn't have the strongest arm in the system. Uh, it's still above average, but it's his accuracy that is the big key. That's why he throws out, you know, 40% of the base runners in his career. Um, he's very accurate with his throws consistently. Uh, he's very athletic behind the plate. He'll block anything that's in the dirt in front of him. He frames pitches well. He calls a really good game. Um, you know, I, I think that it'll be interesting to see how the Reds choose to use him when he does get there if, Devin Mesoraco does take that step forward and become the full-time catcher for the Reds, what they're going to do to work Barnhart in, because he does bring things to the game that, you know, 
Devin Mesrocco can't do, especially with his defense. Not that Mesrocco is bad, but Barnhart is a very, very good defensive catcher. Yeah, he's going to be fun to watch uh, going forward. Now, do you think there's any chance he'll start the year in Louisville? I think there is. Um, you know, there might even be no competition. You know, Corky Miller, who seems like he's been at Louisville since 1996, uh, was granted free agency, <laughs> which, you know, he has been a free agent many times before and come back. Uh, but it doesn't seem that there's any reason for Barnhart to go back to Pensacola again unless the Reds were to bring in a free agent of some kind that would fill in the, uh, I guess, the third catcher role for Cincinnati and just stash that guy down in Louisville. Um, but Barnhart is eligible to be put on the 40-man roster this year, and I can't see a way where the Reds would not add him given his abilities. So I, I think that it would be a surprise at this point if he didn't begin next year in Louisville. The next guy I said I wanted to uh, touch on was a guy that I, uh, I've i not seen him pitch yet. Uh, it's near number 14 guy, Amir Garrett, left-handed pitcher, who ended up the year in, in Dayton. And, and the reason I've been interested in him is, as anybody that follows me on Twitter or, or read the dumb stuff I've written uh, over the years probably knows I'm a big Georgetown basketball fan. And, of course, Amir Garrett, for the last couple of years, has been playing basketball with St. John's University before reporting to Reds camp. Now, he, he transferred out of there. Or got a school, I don't know which, but uh, but uh, Garrett is a guy who looks like he struggled throwing strikes. But you got him, uh, you know, fourteenth. You see some see some potential there, some upside. Absolutely, um, you know, as you noted, he does have problems throwing strikes sometimes. Uh, he didn't pitch in high school at all. Um, you know, he is clearly an incredible athlete. Uh, you know, he plays college basketball, and until he transferred, he played at a relatively good basketball school. Um, but you know he's a big tall. Hold on, hold on, Doug. Doug, relatively good, but he he never beat Georgetown. I'll, I'll give you that. <laughs> I will give you that. Uh, I'll let you gloat a little bit. I I have no horse in that race, but I will let you uh, get your Georgetown uh, rooting out there. But no, well, you know, he's but, a guy. But, but he's athletic, and and this is a guy that uh, that you like. Yes, as, as a baseball player, I like him quite a bit. Um, I don't really think he's got much of a future in at least NBA basketball. You know, uh, it just I just don't believe he has the size for that. But that's a different story on a different website for a different day. Uh, as a pitcher on the mound, um, you know, the stuff is there. It's just very, very, very inconsistent at this point. Um, you know, he's got a fastball that can reach 97 miles an hour from the left side. Uh, you know, I know we get spoiled wow. with guys like Singrani and Chapman, but those guys don't grow on trees. They're, they're a rare breed when you've got a lefty that can throw that hard. Um, you know, when he throws his curveball correctly, it's a good-looking pitch. Change-up still needs some work. I mean, it, it is a very inconsistent pitch at this time. Um, but when he does throw it correctly, one out of ten times, it's also a good pitch. Um, so there's a lot of upside there. There's a lot of risk also because for as raw as he is, he's getting less time on the field than anybody else in the system because of his commitment to college basketball. Uh, you know, he goes to school and through uh, through May, where most guys have been playing baseball since February. So he doesn't even pick up a baseball really until the end of May or early June. So, you know, he has a lot less time to make improvements, and he's one of the guys that needs to make the most improvements of anybody in the system. So there's a lot of risk there, but tools-wise, you know, he matches up very well with a lot of guys in the system. I was kind of hoping that he would maybe give up college basketball. You know, he transferred out of uh, uh, going to Cal State Northridge. He's a he's an L.A. native, and so he's headed back out to California. Uh, and I had hoped 
that uh, he might be ready to give up basketball. He's, he's clearly not, and he's a he's a decent player. He's not an NBA prospect, but a decent college basketball player. Uh, so I guess you know I, I understand why he wants to keep playing. But I'd kind of hope that he would start focusing on baseball because I do. Uh, Ninety-seven. You're right. Those guys don't grow on trees. Ninety-seven miles an hour. Um, Doug, maybe the best way because we are really uh, uh, pushing our time. Maybe the best way to go through the rest of your top twenty-five list is. Uh, if you want to just run down the list and maybe make a brief comment on anybody you want to talk about, uh, 15, 15, Jeremy, and I definitely don't know how to pronounce this guy's name. Uh, uh, I'm going to let Jeremy, you tell me that. Yeah, Jeremy Kibble, uh, he was drafted last year in the 10th round. The Reds paid him a bunch of money. I think he got $500,000 to sign, which is way more than you should get in the 10th round. But really, really big fastball, uh, one of the best fastball velocities in the entire system. Uh, pretty much only Robert Stevenson's better. So there's a lot of upside with that guy. Very raw, didn't get to pitch much in high school because of injuries from his mixed martial arts career that he was trying to pursue at the time. So outstanding, that's yeah. fantastic. Um, so uh, so he's uh, he's another guy that uh, still a young guy, 19. Uh, he'd be an interesting guy to watch. Absolutely. Um, going on number 16 is a catcher, Jose Ortiz. Uh, solid defensive catcher, good tools. Big-time power, um, really big power, very impressive to watch hit. Now, good defensively, so so he, he may stick at catcher and, and a catcher with power. That's that's always good. Yeah, I, I, he's got some work to do defensively, but he's got all the right tools to stick back there. I don't think that he's going to get moved off of the position. Number 17, a guy, uh, and I don't know if I've been pronouncing his name correctly, but a guy that I think is an interesting uh, interesting prospect, Aristides Aquino. There's, there's my shot at it. How close was I? Uh, as far as I know, it's Aristides Aquino, but again, That's what I, I said. could be wrong. <laughs> All right, what, what can you tell us about him? You know, he made huge strides this year. He never hit over 200 um, in his previous two seasons in the Dominican Summer League where the competition level is much, much lower than it was where he played in Arizona and in Billings. Uh, still a very raw player, but his tools match up with any offensive player in the system. Um, good outfielder as well. Uh, number 18, I'm not even going to try this one. Okay. Seth Mejia's Breen, he's a third baseman, first baseman. Um, I think he's a future third baseman. He spent some time at first base this year out of necessity because of multiple injuries that happened on the club where he was playing. Um, outstanding defender at third base. Um, good play discipline. The question is going to be you know, whether his home run power uh, progresses the way that some people believe it will. Um, otherwise, he's going to be a quality uh, backup infielder. Well, I'm glad to hear what you said there about uh, first base because, and about his defense at third because, uh, yeah, I love this guy's plate discipline. And I was uh, when I saw that he was playing some at first base, a little concerned that the Reds might be uh, moving him across the diamonds. So, but, but you think he's going to be a third baseman, and I think that really uh, makes him a more attractive prospect. Am I right? Yeah, I, I think so. Just Dayton lost two first basemen in the span of two weeks to knee injuries, and they didn't really have another choice but to call up another third baseman from extended spring training, which put Mejia's Green across the diamond. But, no, he's, he's viewed as a future third baseman. Another rookie leaguer at 19, Gabriel Rosa, outfielder. Um, what can you tell us? You know, the numbers don't look good. He is 211 this they year. They don't. But when you, when you watched him play, again, it was one of those night and day things. The results didn't show up um, in the stat line, but when you look at him, all of the tools were there. And he was hitting the ball hard. They just weren't finding the, the grass this year. 
Number 20, Chad Rogers. I actually saw him pitch a little bit with Louisville this year. Uh, 23-year-old uh, right-hander. Yeah, I, I think that he's probably going to wind up in the bullpen despite the fact that he's been a starting pitcher the past few years. Um, out of the bullpen, you know, he can throw it up to 95, 96 miles an hour. You know, solid control ground ball guy. Uh, you know, maybe a seventh, uh, eighth inning reliever if things work out perfectly for him. Number 21, Junior Arias, uh, end of the year in high A. Uh, what position was uh, Arias playing this year? He was, he was, where was he? He was, was he on the corner? He was, he was he was a center fielder this year. Oh, he was in um, center. He okay. The, he made the transition this year from infield to center field, much like Billy Hamilton. Didn't go as smoothly. Uh, he definitely improved defensively as the season went along, um, but he still needs to do some work. Tools with this guy, big power, big arm. He, I mean, plus plus speed. Um, the question is, you know, can he figure out to play discipline? He walked just 18 times this season and struck out 132. So that that's going to be the big question with him. Number 22, Raydell Medina. Now, I hope you can tell me something about him because I know nothing about this guy. Uh, well, the Reds signed him this past August. Um, you know, he's a Cuban defector. Um, he's 20 years old. He's got a good set of tools, um, at least five average tools across the board. I think his power could be above average. He's got good bat speed. Um, there are some scouts who aren't entirely convinced he's going to hit enough because of his play discipline, but I've never seen him actually face live pitching in games before, so I don't know too much about that at this point. But he's got good tools. Uh, I'd look for him to start in Dayton next year. Number 23 is a guy that uh, Reds fans and many listeners of this podcast will be familiar with, Neftali Soto. Soto first came to my uh, attention when he was a rookie, I guess out in Billings, uh, and he was playing shortstop with catcher and third base and uh, of course, he came to Cincinnati and was completely miserable in his very abbreviated Major League debut. Um, is Soto going to be anything more than a, a bench guy in the majors? I, I think he's got a chance. Um, you know, as you said, he's moved around the infield a lot throughout the years. Um, he hadn't played third base in a few years, and the Reds moved him back this year. You know, with the signing of Joey Votto, the long-term contract, and Soto getting closer to the majors, they felt the need to try and see if he could do it again. Uh, he was much improved. He's still got some work to do over there, but he looks better this year than he's ever looked there in the past. So there's a chance that he could stick at third base. Um, you know, advanced pitching has you know held him back a little bit. I, I think that there's a chance that he could be a starter, but it, it probably is more likely that he's you know a power bench bat who can play you know the corner infield spots. I remember how much uh, he was hitting uh, when he first came up with Billings, and he was tearing tearing that league apart. And uh, think, God, this guy's a shortstop. He can stick at shortstop. Now, I've se- after seeing him play, I can't imagine how he ever played shortstop. But uh, I don't know. He he looks like Juan Francisco to me. Is that unfair? I, I think it is. Uh, the numbers may look similar, but when you watch them hit, uh, Soto definitely has a lot more play discipline than Francisco did. Uh, he just doesn't quite have the contact ability, I guess, on pitches within the strike zone that Francisco did. The problem was Francisco swung at everything. So he still struck out quite a lot. 24, Sal Romano, uh, 19-year-old in, uh, in in Dayton. What do you know? Yeah. Big, tall right-hander, lots of ground balls, really good sinking fastball. Uh, needs to work on his control, but I, I like the overall package. Number 25, this is a guy who I think a lot of people are very disappointed to see him so low on your list. Not that he doesn't deserve to be this low, uh, but uh, – uh, second rounder from 2010, 
a lot of people had some high hopes. Talk to me. What? How's he so low? Well, you know, like you said, I, I feel that a lot of people did feel that I ranked him too low. Um, I'm not saying you ranked him so low. I just I've been disappointed with his development. Oh well, a lot of a lot of my readers actually did feel that I ranked him too low, and I can understand that viewpoint. Um, you know, Lamar. You know, he hit 246 this season, which isn't good. It, it's not. Let's let's not sugarcoat it. He struggled overall this season, but he did hit well. Um, once July rolled around, he hit 281, uh, slugged 459. He's got good play discipline. He's got some speed. He can play some defense. But he's never really put together a full season where he's had, you know, everything working right throughout the season. And so I'm just not convinced that, you know, he can be that kind of guy at this point. A lot of scouts I talk to see him more as a fourth outfielder with really good defense who can cover you, uh, you know, in all three outfield spots, you know, bring a solid bat off the bench. Um, but I, I think that, you know, he's better than maybe some people feel when they just look at his stats. Um, like I said, he, he's got some tools. I'm just not sure he's ever going to hit enough to be a full-time starter. How's his defense? Pretty good? Uh, absolutely. I, I think that, you know, he may be the best defensive center fielder in the system. And wow. if he's not, he's, he's right behind Billy Hamilton. I, I think they're one-two, and they're, they're pretty much a, a big gap ahead of everybody else, um, at least as far as the guys that do play every day. Um, you know, very good routes. You know, he's not as fast as Hamilton, but he runs perfect routes. He gets very good reads off the bat. So he, he makes the most of what he's got in the outfield, and he's a very good defensive center fielder. Well, good defensively then, and a little bit of a plate discipline. He'll take a walk. So, yeah, that's that's a guy that can maybe help the team off, help uh, a major league team off the bench. Sounds like to me, uh, if if not as a potential starter, then I think he at least has a, maybe a, a potential career ahead of him. Is it, now, I guess with, with Hamilton moving up to the majors, presumably, uh, you'd think Lamar will uh, start in Louisville. Yeah, he may or he may not. Um, you know, Louisville was still struggling to find playing time for all of their outfielders last year, and I'm not sure if everybody who was a free agent is going to be able to re-sign with the Reds. But I could see a spot where he could be back in uh, Pensacola again next year um, you know, because he did struggle. Uh, maybe the Reds are going to see his second half and you know push him ahead to Louisville. and uh, We'll just have to see. Doug, two questions for you. Anybody else in the system that did not make your list that you think uh, may have some upside or uh, that uh, Reds fans need to maybe at least just keep an eye on? Oh. You know, there's actually uh, one guy that is pretty far under the radar, I feel, for the most part, Jackson Stevens. Uh, you know, I actually ranked him further down uh, my list, but, you know, he basically piggyback started with Amir Garrett. They both pitched four or five innings um, in each game. You know, I saw him up to 95 this year. Uh, you know, he's got solid stuff. You know, still a little bit raw, but, you know, given that, you know, a lot of people are going to see that he didn't start this year. I feel that he's probably a guy that people are going to want to follow that, you know, may not have been on their radar. Now, the next question I have for you, and uh, this is just my completely subjective uh, judgment after looking at your list and, and kind of considering it a little bit. Uh, we know the Reds don't have the top minor league system in the in the majors, but I do see a little bit of pitching depth. Is that the strength of the uh, Reds minor league system? I think the outfield is probably a little bit stronger. Um, but, you know, I think that they do have plenty of pitching. Um, I think that there's a bit of a gap uh, once you get beyond Robert Stevenson as far as, you know, players that will be ready to help at the major league level, especially from the rotation. But there are plenty of quality pitchers throughout the system, guys with upside. 
you know, they just may be further off uh, than a guy like Stevenson who could be ready at some point next year. Well, good deal. Doug, any final thoughts on the system or anything else that uh, we didn't get to you wanted to mention? I, I think we covered it all, and even though we ran a little bit long, um, I, I think that we uh, we covered plenty of players and got a lot of information out there. Yeah, I think it was a pretty good look at uh, the, the the best of the best in the red system, and and a lot of interesting names to watch uh, for next year. So, uh, Doug, I really do appreciate you joining us. Uh, I hope you're going to come back uh, again really soon. Is that can I count on you for that? You've got my email address. <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. We're gonna do, we're gonna definitely do this for, uh, uh, as often as possible. Um, and I enjoy uh, getting to talk to Doug certainly about the minor league players because uh, we all follow the minor leagues to some uh, some degree or another, but nobody covers it like Doug Gray does. Follow Doug on uh, Twitter, DougDirt24. Uh, you can follow me if you want at Dotson C. I don't know why you'd want to. Um, and of course, follow us at Red Leg Nation. Um, Doug, thanks for joining us. Well, thanks for having me. Absolutely. Now, those of you that are listening to the podcast, uh, this is actually episode 100 of the podcast, uh, which is amazing in, in and of itself. I'd ask you to go uh, subscribe, certainly. Go to redlegnation.com, subscribe to the podcast via iTunes or via RSS, or whatever your podcast program is, your podcast app on your uh, on your phone or your iPod. Uh, tell a friend about the podcast. Let's, uh, let's uh, grow the community a little bit. I really do appreciate everyone out there who's uh, downloaded. Uh, listen to the program. You got a lot of things you could be doing with your time. Why you would be listening to me, I have no clue, but I thank you. For Doug Gray, this is Chad Dawson saying so long, everyone.